0: Hi, this is James Sholkom, host of Web Comics Reviews and Interviews. Tonight is the Game of Thrones breakdown, so sit back, relax, and let the geek fest begin. All right, because I'm a nice guy, I'm gonna give you two heads up. First, yeah, here be spoilers. If you've not yet watched Game of Thrones season eight and you plan to do so, you know, reasonably so- spoiler-free, this is not the show for you. We're gonna be doing a reasonably in-depth analysis of the last six shows of the show. And yeah, you know, that sounds all sorts of depressing when you actually say it out loud. But the point here is we're going to be going so far in the spoiler country that we're going to be able to say hi to Arya from a distance because there's no way I'm getting anywhere near her. And keep in mind that since we are talking about something involving George R.R. R. Martin, yeah, there's no way we're going to be able to have a Kids safe podcast tonight. So I'm giving you a heads up and letting you know there's going to be some mature subject matter And just like the spoilers, I'm not really going to care. You know, there's not enough to get an explicit tag, so don't worry about that. It's just straight up, there are going to be certain topics that will probably come up. And so because of that, I'm going to just give the show a blanket. You know, if you're trying to avoid mature subject matter, yeah, this is not the podcast for you. So, here be spoilers, here be mature subject matter. You have been warned. And now that I've gotten rid of, like, about three of you, yeah, it's just been sort of an incredible show. And it's going to be really depressing to see it go. I really wish, like a lot of other people, that the last six shows had been a little bit more awesome. But, you know, I'm reasonably satisfied. I'm not really happy with how it ended up, don't get me wrong. But at the same time, you know, we've seen some incredible stuff. We've seen dragons, some of the best dragons I've seen on TV or movies ever, and I've seen a lot of them. Trust me on this. Yeah. Just mention Verma's and Go-Motion. You know? Um, we've seen somebody who got drunk and new things and apparently did a lot of both. We've seen Arya go from shy girl who just liked watching the occasional parade to the best assassin on the entire continent. We've seen Danny go from being shy reclusive teenage girl to the scariest thing on the entire planet, you know? We've seen Jon Snow complain about just about everything. We've met some really great people and we've met some really weird people. You know, we've Lady Brienne. I would really like to get her, you know what to, to get her drunk. Um Straight up, did she actually drink more than, like, about maybe a sip of wine throughout the entire show? Sort of impressive. And if we're all talking, you know, getting drunk, Cersei, straight up, she I think if you gave her just regular fruit juice rather than wine, things would have been much, much different because I think she's straight up a mean drunk and she kept herself drunk all the time. And straight up, could they at least at some point told us the, what exactly is going on between the honeycomb, the donkey, and the brothel? Seriously? they never got into that yeah I know the joke it's just I you know I can't do research on the internet but it would have been great to see that just go off just once you know and don't get me wrong there's been a lot of really cool stuff out there as well I mean once you get past Torment and it's milk fetish but you know and there's a really great excuse to not ever go to another wedding as long as I live But at the same time, you know, the scenery's been incredible. The attention to detail has just been totally awesome. And, you know, these people have chewed enough scenery that that accounts for like 90% of the budget right there. You know, it's just when it comes down to it, we're seeing a lot of really great stuff. We're seeing some incredible details. We're seeing some really nice world-building stuff. The characters are incredible. I mean, we've actually got people with some actually decent backstories some really messed up backstories, granted, but some really nice backstories. You know, we've seen some really incredibly nice details here and there. All the various ships how with all the various sigils and designs and symbols and so on and so forth. This has actually been one of those low fantasy realms where we've actually had a reason that there wasn't a whole lot of magic. You know, the whole, there was a lot of magic at one point, bad things happened, and we're seeing a sort of renaissance of it. So, overall, there's been a lot of really great stuff in the show. So, when I start basically having fun with it here and there, keep in mind it's because there's a definite love of the show. I mean, there's absolutely so much stuff there to digest that even I had to watch an occasional episode more than once. And trust me, I never watch episodes more than once. So, it's just straight up. There's a reason this show is rated so highly as it is. I mean, I think it's like 9.5 stars on IMBD. Straight up. 9.5 stars. That almost never happens. And they've managed to keep up that quality all the way up to almost the last couple of shows of the show. So, there's, if you're trying to figure out some really cool writing stuff, hey, this is definitely something you need to look into. And if you think the show's good, yeah, you ought to see the books, you know. I definitely wouldn't recommend it if you try to avoid subject matter. George R. R. Martin does not hold back in that department. But, straight up, there is uh, a ton of really great little details, a lot of really great character arcs, and some incredibly awesome stuff that just keeps popping up throughout the entire show that actually makes it we watch so when I start going after certain aspects of the show well this is a podcast about writing and well occasionally part of what I like doing is just simply unloading on stuff you know it's just there's some stuff that just didn't make sense to me stuff that still doesn't make sense to me after even after a lot of conversations and I do mean lots. So I'm going to be getting a lot of that stuff off my chest. Yeah, expect this to be more or less a therapy session. But, you know, I, you should be used to that by now. At least I would hope you'd be used to that by now. So, Gabby's caveat here is, yes, I love the show. But there were some interesting problems over the last couple of shows. So, yeah, expect that to be... Let's just have some fun with it, Okay. First off, on the part of the good stuff, I definitely have to commend uh, Night of Kingdoms. It's arguably one of the best bottle shows I've ever seen in my life. A bottle show in case you're curious is when they have very limited sets, and it's usually the dreaded clip show. Here they basically are going through a lot of remembrances, getting drunk, having a little bit of fun, and it's overall just an incredible little show, and they just simply have fun playing around with the characters. One of the cool things, of course, that happens is Lady Brienne is knighted and becomes a knight of the seven kingdoms. In fact, she's the first female knight. You know? There's a lot of interesting conversations. Torment in his milk is arguably one of the things that stands out in a lot of people's minds for probably all the wrong reasons. But it's Torment. You know? Uh, you get a chance to see some of the characters just simply wax and poetically and have fun with it. It's just straight up if you were looking for a really great little character building show, the of Scene Seven Kingdoms is a great place to start. There are also a lot of really great images throughout the show. Uh, my personal favorite had to be when they had Drogon way behind in the background as Danny came up to address her armies, you know, at the last show. You know, before she gives her the we're going to go out and liberate everybody thing. And if you pay attention, you'll see Drogon's wings spread behind her, giving her the appearance that the wings were actually hers. You know, just, there's a lot of really great shots like that. Uh, there's also some stuff you pay attention to that showed up in a lot of other shows that was, in movies, that was obviously from there. Um, Return of the King, for example, had, you know, everybody show, had them go up to the big high thing and see the armies, which is a shot they paralleled here. One shot they shouldn't have paralleled is where they have Bilbo Baggins give his book, and you know Frodo finishes it. Yeah, they should not have done such an obvious thing. It's just when they when they actually brought the book out, and you saw what the name of the book was. Yeah, that was just one of those shots that shouldn't have happened. But in the last couple of shows, you had a lot of weirdness like that happen. Um, you had a lot of other cool stuff, like the dragon names, for example. Don't worry, we're going to put some serious pins in that one. Uh, Another cool scene was, of course, Drogon basically melting the the throne. I mean, seriously, we all wanted to see that happen. We wanted to see that thing destroyed at one point or another. And so it was sort of really nice to see it go bye-bye. I mean, it was just, that was the scene that pretty much the entire series was leading up to and to see it go, just melt down into molten steel. Seriously. That was just arguably one of the coolest scenes in the entire show. And there was a lot of really cool scenes throughout the entire show. So, yeah, it's just there's a lot of really nice stuff going on. There was stuff like Sir Jonah's last moments, which was exactly what he wanted. He wanted to, when he died, he wanted to basically do it, defending his queen, and he wanted to have the tears over him, which is exactly what he got. That's one of the few times we've seen Danny actually break down and cry throughout the entire series. It was just overall a really beautiful scene, you know? You obviously had Tyrion, who was incredible throughout it. I mean, straight up. Peter Dinklage could read a freaking telephone book, and I'd sit there enthralled. Of course, he'd also probably do it in a satirical tone and sort of condescending, but it'd be sort of fun to watch nonetheless, you know? And we even had the Clegane Bull, which, you know, had the Mountain and the Hound go after each other. You know, something we all wanted to see happen at one point or another, and it was just nice to see that actually get finally delivered upon. So, you know, there were some incredibly awesome moments. I mean, you know, going back to the dragon names for a sec, you had some really neat stuff go on there. I mean, straight up. You had the three dragons were all each named after various important men or males more accurately, in Daenerys' life. You had Drogon, who was obviously her husband, that she was married off to, or more accurately, sold to. You had Viserion, who was named after the person who sold her off to Drogo. And of course, you also had Regal, who was named after her, her stillborn son. So, it was just sort of really nice to see that there's also a little bit of foreshadowing with those names, because you know, Viserion was the one that ended up getting killed and becoming, for lacking a better phrase, the Ice Dragon. You know, he became an undead dragon under the Winter King's thrall. And actually ended up thus betraying uh, Danny, just like his namesake did. You had Regal who was the, you know, who ended up dying early. Again, just like her son did. And of course, Drogon was there whenever she Basically, took over the kingdoms, you know, just like he threatened. The actual Drogo had threatened to do, pretty much on his first appearance, and of course, Danny copied his speeches a couple of times throughout. But the key here is that you had Regal, who died early, just like her son. You had Viserion, who ended up betraying her, just like his namesake, and you had Drogon, who helped her take over the world, just like he had actually His namesake had threatened to do you know, some really cool little foreshadowing in there. And don't worry, we'll get back to those dragons. So we're going to put another pin in those, but we'll collect on that one. One of the other interesting things was the mission that the dragons would have three heads, which meant, of course, that they'd have three riders. Which, of course, ended up being Danny, John, and while everybody thought it was going to be Tyrion, it ended up actually being the Night King himself. You know, which is sort of a neat little, neat little twist. Of course, there was all sorts of neat little twists throughout the entire show. But that was just sort of one of the cooler ones. You know, we thought it was going to be Tyrion and ended up being the Night King. And who could have figured that one out, in all honesty? There was some really nice stuff going on throughout the series. Uh, Unfortunately, then things got apparently just a wee bit rushed. And it became just way too obvious. One of the scenes that... Became a minor point, or actually became a major point, and then seemed to get discarded somewhere. Was I'm going to get the pronunciations wrong, and I'm going to throw in that as a caveat I'm going to get a lot of pronunciations wrong. Um, you know, there was the thing with the Azora High. It's just straight up, that was built up to be sort of a major mystery, at least in terms of the fandom, but it was never really delivered upon. I mean, there's still people who are arguing about exactly who was the prince who was promised. In fact, there's even been an argument that the prince wasn't necessarily a prince, but could have been a princess. You know? We've seen everybody from John, Jamie, Aria, you know, even Daenerys even end up having a hat in that particular ring. It just would have been nice to have that mystery resolved at some point. It just seems like there was a lot of major threads that should have gotten resolved, but really didn't. You know? Uh, Another problem was, obviously, that Cersei, the person who never gave up and always defined things on her terms, ended up running from the final battle. You know? Straight up. You know, this is somebody who, throughout the entire series, established a reputation that Cersei never runs and she always defines whatever goes on. You know? When it was her time to do the shaming thing, she could have stayed in the Red Keep and never had to worry about it. She instead decided to go out and actually do the same thing, the shame walk, and then burn down the church afterward just to make a point. You know, that, of course, spurred a lot of really bad King's Landing jokes. But, you know, uh, straight up, there's a lot of time. I mean, even there at the end her final thing was to kill off somebody she knew was important If she's told was don't do this and she killed, ended up killing off one of danny's friends and grayworm's lover and it was just out of total spite you know this is arguably the thing that ended up setting danny off if she didn't already have intentions of doing so we're going to put another pin but it just didn't feel right to see Cersei actually end up basically running there at the end. And the only reason she ended up dying is because, well, Jamie found her. You know? It's just... And when you actually look at the scene, she could have been any... You know, ten feet away in virtually any direction and she would have escaped. It just felt wrong that Cersei was running. Of course, as a side note, that did sort of, uh, you remember the Valencar pro- prophecy that a lot of fans were talking about that didn't actually make it into the show, but was a major proponent, apparently, of the book? Well, it could actually be argued that Jamie fulfilled it. Maggie the Frog just had hand placement off. Uh, basically, for those who don't know, there was a prophecy that, apparently, Cersei was supposed to die at the hands of her little brother, and a lot of people, thought, including Cersei, actually thought it was apparently going to be Tyrion because, well, size-wise. However, it could actually be argued that Jaime ended up fulfilling that potential prophecy by actually being, because Jaime is her younger brother, which of course a lot of people refer to as the little brother. And of course, he was sort of embracing her there at the end, which basically mean that Maggie the Frog could have actually been right on the money just... It's a little bit off on the placement, you know what I mean. Now let's go ahead and talk about Bran for a moment, because there's a really cool fan theory that basically had him knowing, in fact, setting up himself as the king of the six kingdoms. Specifically, let's get let's a little bit interesting thing about Bran is that he not only can basically send you know astral project or whatever, he can actually watch things anywhere in Westeros. And at the same time, he can also influence events there. Uh, the best example of this is how you know he was able to send a psychic message back to Hodor, who of course we find out became Hodor because of Hold the Door. However, there was so much raw psychic power thrown at Hodor that, well, he was made into a simpleton. Which of course turned out to be an advantage later on, but the key here is, not only can Brand go, send his Sight back in any particular period of time anywhere on Restoros, but he's also able to have limited psychic control as well as influence the actions of those in that particular area. So it would make perfect sense that he would basically be able to set himself up as king, you know, basically winning the Game of Thrones. Which is sort of an interesting game You know, game theory in and of itself. I mean, basically he had a really cool trick and he found a way to take advantage of it. It really would be interesting to see some of the details of that, but the bottom line is, Brand's a lot scarier than he, you know people give him credit for. And when you realize that he's able to communicate from his future self on back, that gives him a lot of tactical advantages. Winterfell, for example, everybody knows how calm he was throughout the entire thing, even though he had the Night King gunning for him. Well, obviously Brand knew that he was going to survive, so there's like no reason to be worried. You know, his future self had said, Dude, you're about to do something. Here's how you need to deal with it. Here's where you need to be. Make sure you're there, and you're going to survive no problem. Well, came down to it. He was right where he needed to be. Arya showed up. Ended up killing off the Night King. And he was perfectly fine. You know, at no point did the Night King come with even a couple of paces of rant. Of course, then we get a really silly moment where we find out the Night King is a dreaded load-bearing wizard, and once you destroy him, you get rid of everything he turned. But you know, the bottom line here is that there is actual canon examples of Bran, you know, if you look at it in a sort of a squinty-eyed sort of way, of him communicating with his various selves, and once you can do that. And it's just a matter of figuring out who you need to basically manipulate in such a way that eventually they'll come out and you know. You just need to basically make sure these people are in the right places, these people die, and all of a sudden you're basically in a major position to become king of the six kingdoms. Would have been seven, but Sonda decided she wanted to win her fell. Which is sort of a really weird theory, but a really accurate one, especially given right there at the end when Brand points out he knows why he's there and is to accept being king of the Six Kingdoms. You know, that can't be total coincidence. And I hate coincidences in stories anyway. The Battle of Winterfeld is another interesting area if you actually stop and look at it. I mean, it's just straight up. You had way too many deaths. Uh, the most interesting one, I thought, was Lyanna Mormont you know, a little girl, you know, lady, Leanna, who basically should not have been there by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, seriously. You know, she should have been inside to keep with the other people, not out on the freaking battlefield. Seriously. You know? There's just a lot of deaths that were just way too... It just seems like every once in a while Game of Thrones, would realize, hey, we got all these way too many characters, so let's get rid of a lot of them, finish up their arcs, and all of a sudden let's kill off a lot of them just because it would be fun, sort of fun to watch. And she happened to be one of those deaths. Which makes absolutely no sense to me. I mean, it was just... I appreciate that there's a lot of random deaths and don't get me wrong, I'm not expecting there to be any happy endings. It's George R. R. Martin. He's not known for doing happy endings. In fact, he's known for pretty much just the opposite. But, so obviously that's not a problem for, you know, the I'm not expecting everybody to have a really cool, cheerful, birds-in-the-background type of ending. I don't read Martin's stuff for the happy endings. I read it for the solid storytelling. I, you know, I don't care if the ending is happy. I don't care if it's sad as long as it's a relatively good ending. Good being is that it was actually thought out meticulously and it actually works. It's just, a lot of The deaths of Winterfell... Just felt that it was just simply a... This character's story arc is over. We have no more plans with this character. So, hey, let's do a convenient character death. You know? And some of the characters... They simply didn't really have major story arcs... Ended up dying all over the place. After a while, it's just... You know, I... This is one of those weird... I don't mind seeing a lot of character deaths. Just make sure the character mattered. And you had a really scary little girl... Who shouldn't have been where she was and got killed for it. Yeah, I appreciate that, you know, that Lady Liana is definitely um aggressive little girl and she is probably the scariest female character in the entire show. And that's allowing for, you know, best assassin Arya, Dragon Rider Danny, and mean drunk Cersei. But it's just it just felt a waste. There was a lot of deaths in that particular battle that was felt a waste. You know, the deaths that you could actually see. Yeah, I get the cinematographer was trying to do something fun with the lighting. Yeah, it didn't work out too well. But the key here is at Winterfell there was just a lot of stuff that just didn't make sense later on. Um, the most, the biggest of these, of course, is Viserion, who, you know, straight up... You've got this. You've got John playing tag with a dragon. Is what it basically boils down to. At some point in time, you know, Danny and John should have taken him out. There's absolutely no question of that. He should have been. You've got two dragons. You've got one. Those other two dragons should have wiped the floor with that third dragon. I don't care how powerful he is. It's just that's way too big of an asset on the battlefield. That if it was actually being used the way it was supposed to be rather than playing tag with John freaking Snow, you know, that Dragon could have turned the, turned the tide around big time. Heck, you know, 19 could have sent Dragon after Brand and eliminated a lot of issues right there. It's just straight up. There's a lot... like This is, goes in that category of really cool stuff... But it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to happen. You know? Just like when they're fighting dragons with the scorpions later on. You know, this big t- ballista things? Yeah. Straight up. This thing is going to be going up against dragons. It's supposed to be the end all be all weapon against dragons. And you usually can't elevate it? Seriously? You're going up against a monster that tends to think in three-dimensional space, and you're limiting yourself right off the bat to a plain view. There's a reason I think Orin deserved to have his fleet taken away from him and taken away from him violently, just like it was. You know, you need to develop a weapon that can actually work in three dimensions relatively quickly. Not whatever, not how the Scorpions were working out. You know, it's just doesn't make sense and again there's sort of the irony in this situation a lot of this stuff doesn't make sense because well you've got all these really cool details throughout the entire story that are so meticulous, so well thought out so incredibly well planned for and then you have an entire string of stuff that just doesn't make sense, you know you've got a major dragon on the battlefield of a major battle and he's playing tag with a one fighter, or you've got this end-all, be-all weapon, and against dragons, and it can't hit the third dimension. You know, we saw how that worked out. But again, like I said, a lot of these are relatively minor quibbles. It's overall the series actually worked out pretty well, until of course you had the last two shows. All right, so let me have fun with one particular section just to really have some serious fun here. Here's the deal. I don't think Danny went insane there at the end. I mean, it's just straight up. She didn't. She, I figure she basically was planning all this from the very beginning. You got three strikes against the whole Danny is the mad queen thing. First off, actually, let's go four things just to have a little bit more fun with this. Alright, First off, foreshadowing is not the same as character building. That is, you can have a lot of people, you know, you can build a lot of stuff that you might want the character to go off and do. But just because you've got a lot of people saying stuff about that character, that doesn't count as actually building up the character. It just points out that that character has a lot of stakes and could actually has something to really fight for. And straight up, Danny had the whole Mad Queen thing that she had to fight against. And it was never something that you could actually see. I mean, yeah, she killed a lot of people, but the people she killed were actually legitimate kills, you know? She's trying to basically get all the Unsullied to her side. The easiest way to do that? Kill off the Masters. And let's get real, the Masters were slavers, so that was not a major issue. The Khaleesi, back at the original camp with Drogo. Yeah. You had this woman go and do a revenge plot that ended up having Drogo, you know, go turn into a veg basically a vegetable. And the way it was accomplished was by the witch basically casting a spell on Danny's child and fueling it to heal Drogo but just enough to keep him alive. So yeah, you, you attack a woman's child, you and you deserve to die. and the more painful the better. Straight up, right there until the very end. Every death that Danny did was totally legit in my book. You know, I get what Tyrion was saying. That yeah, we support her because, well, the, you know, we thought that they were bad guys. Clue you in on something. They were bad guys. It's just I can't really think of anybody that didn't deserve to die that Danny killed. It's just I'm not seeing her as the completely innocent victim in all this, or relatively being a victim, which is sort of weird when you think about it that way. So yeah, you had a lot of people telling her that she'd be the Mad Queen. You had a lot of people acting as if she was going to become mad at some point. But it doesn't necessarily mean that she herself was actually mad. It just means you had a lot of people creating a fear, working on that fear, and in and of itself was a really great little, you know, detail. I mean, straight up. You don't really see a whole lot of fantasy books where you have people basically creating a rumor campaign, acting on those rumors. And then hit the point where they actually are losing their lives based on those rumors. Rest in peace, virus. You know, it's just that was a really great little detail. And the reason I'm saying she didn't go insane oh, you're going to love this. Let's go with the theory that her entire intent behind her saying that she was going to break the will was that she actually wasn't going to. And let's get real, she didn't. At the very end there, you know, the so called Mad Queen Danny is actually hitting a point where she is actually reinforcing the wheel hardcore. You know, she's established herself as a despot, just like, you know, the original Mad King before her. It's, you know, her actual father was not exactly a happy camper. And yeah, there were a lot of parallels between the way what he did and what Danny did. But let's say, for the sake of argument, that rather than wanting to actually break the will, like she kept saying she actually wanted to use that just as a campaign slogan get everybody behind her and then she gets them into a situation where it looked like she was going to break the will and then change her mind but by that time everybody had so much investment in what she was doing that they just kept on following along with it sound about right because that's exactly what happened Danny kept saying she was going to break the will, but if she was really going to break the will, and don't get me wrong, there were occasional signs of it. For example, totally eliminating the slavers. You know, that was a major step in that direction. But I think she did it just to get the insullied on her side. Just like she already had all the, uh, Reiki were already backing her. So... At that point, she's got one army. She's a chance to get another one. She tells those people exactly what they want to hear and then proceeds to do it because let's get real, of are slavers. Who's going to miss them anyway? She gets rid of them and then she takes all these people, gets them over to Westeros proper, takes care of the Night King problem, which, let's get real, that should have been built up just a little bit more. I mean, realistically, the Night King only went into... Combat once, as far as the actual major army went, and he didn't last past that. You know, this is like the, the big bad to this point, and he basically falls in his first fight. Seriously, but the good news is is that from a story perspective, is that the Battle of Winterfell, or yeah, managed to get rid of a lot of her forces. I mean, there were the front ones on the front line. They actually ended up dying horribly. And she was actually, you know, cut back on her forces big time. She then decides to go after King's Landing because now she's the heroine of the Battle of Winterfell. And so she's got a lot of people backing her. So, you know, the deaths that she saw suffered there? Well worth it. You're playing chess, getting rid of a few pawns, and sets you up... To kill off the queen, hey, you're good to go, right? So, she takes all these people, sends them over to King's Landing. Unfortunately, Anne, instead of having a big bad fight like she wanted, they give up. Ignoring the fact, like I pointed out earlier, this just doesn't make sense giving Cersei. I mean, Cersei, every time she's up against us obstacle, she tears the thing down, or she blows it up, or she figures out some way to plow bloody right through it, you know? And all of a sudden, she's got a army on her doorstep, and she's running. All right, just go with it. It makes no sense to me, but let's go with it. So Danny's all of a sudden in a situation where, you know, she needs a king's landing to go bye-bye. period. What does she do? She basically goes into it... You notice that before the battle, she stilled herself. That is, there was... Depending on how you want to look at it... You either had a situation where she was letting the insanity take over... She struggled against it... Lost about it... And just went totally insane. Or... She decided realized that, hey, I need to basically destroy King's Landing... In order to make a point here. You know, I've got all these people... They're crying for battle. If I just simply don't have a battle, all these people are going to go to the Four Winds. What does she do? She creates a battle. She's got everybody basically surrendering, but she decides to say, screw it. We want to see everybody here die. We want to see them punished for what they've been doing. And so the Unsullied and the Dothraki go in, kill off all the people, which, of course, ends up setting a conflict up between her and John. However, I will point out something of note. Is that if you realize that you're trying to basically eliminate the and queen... Well, why is it that she didn't really go after the Red Keep all that much? I mean, straight up. If she was trying to basically eliminate Cersei... Why not make sure that his body's dead? And she... she I mean, straight up. She had these sources available, but... At no point does she even really care about making sure that the body's dead. You know, Tyrion goes out and makes sure about that. You know? Not saying, of course, there aren't some little cues that say that Daenerys couldn't be setting herself up to be the Mad Queen. After all, she does basically go through a lot of advisors. But, at the same time, if I'm trying to be... You have everybody a little bit of fear me. Hey, wouldn't I take advantage of the fact that they're going to be worrying about me being the uh, so-called Mad Queen and sort of work out to take advantage of their reputation just a little bit? This, of course, ends up making Danny a lot more of a shrewd player than she actually comes off as being. And she's already coming off as a savvy player. I mean, there's just a lot of stuff that she does that a regular young woman wouldn't think to do. And she does it on a regular basis. Of course she does screw up with her strategy. And makes her one trump card basically be her own attack. And that's it. Every time she goes out into a battle. She uses a dragon. Eventually. You know those dragons are going to fall. But let's get real. She tends to use armies. In big bold you know. Showy demonstrations of power. That just simply don't make sense from a straight tactical perspective. Going after King's Landing in terms of killing everybody off, you know, looks pretty good until you realize that at that point in time everybody was starting to split off from her. That weren't, and the only two groups that she had, the Dothraki and the Unsullied, well, there's no way to basically rejuvenate those resources. Whereas everybody else around her you know, if they need more army, hey, they just start drafting peasants, you know. In essence, what you have is you have two huge but, you know, limited armies that are all of a sudden having to go up against these ridiculously huge armies. That's if Danny actually survived. Obviously, John killing her off was exactly what needed to happen. So, you know, it's just straight up. When it comes down to the whole Danny went insane thing, you should be hearing a lot of air quotes because I don't think she did. I think she did exactly what she intended to do from the start to finish. And, you really want a fun kicker? Let's go back to those names of the dragons again. Because you're going to love this. In terms of what... Now keep in mind, she named them each after various males in her life that meant something important to her for various reasons. So, And, of course, she learned something from each one of those encounters, which means that she was using the dragon's big, huge, mnemonic aids to remind her of the lessons she had learned. From Viserion, or namesake thereof, she learned that basically you do whatever it takes, you screw whoever you can. If they happen to be betrayed, so be it. This is exactly what you need to do to win. From Drogo, a.k.a. the namesake of Dragon. She learned to basically be ruthless, to overwhelm the opponent, and to basically keep charging in no matter what. Gee, what was her tactic most of the time? Was to just charge in and overwhelm the opponent using her dragon? And, of course, her regal, even though she actually technically learned this from the Khaleesi back in wherever, you know, she learned that basically you need to be extremely ruthless and to use the... Enemies' tools against them. In essence, she named her three dragons names that she would remember, stuff that she'd been taught by those three people, and then used it in all of her battles. In essence, you see the names of the dragons, and you start realizing that these are the same tactics she would use later on in pretty much every battle, and all of a sudden it starts looking like everything seems to be more of an intent than an You know, some sort of... Well, she decided to go totally insane on the last possible moment. You know? It's just sort of silly when you think about it. Now, this, of course, brings up the really fun question of how I think the Game of Thrones should have actually ended up, you know, ending up. Alright. I think there would have been three major changes. First off, I think that when she basically came into... King's Landing and went after she would have gone after Cersei. The only problem is that Cersei would have been ready and waiting for her and had a couple of the scorpions loaded and waiting for. Danny gets within range, she fires off a couple of the scorpions. Drogon manages to dodge them. However, while she's doing this, in comes Jamie. And yeah, you gotta appreciate Jamie's got a major Kingslayer thing going on. You are with he did try to he not only killed the king, but he almost took out Bran, who almost who actually became the king? Interesting that. But in comes Jaime. He and Cersei, you know, have a quick reunion, and then all of a sudden, Jaime decides to go all in. And by all in, I mean all four feet of his sword goes into her breastbone, killing, you know, killing Cersei right then and there. There's a quick and he holds her. However, Danny takes advantage of this. And turns both of them into cinders. However, she's still basically a little bit of a lunatic. This, of course, means that the big scene between her and John in the throne room still is going to happen. John is still going to kill her for exactly the same reasons, except that instead of being now, see, here's another problem I had with the original story. I mean, it's just a real quick aside: is that you've got Grey Worm who wants to kill off John, but Grey has total control over John, but he never kills him, and instead "Wait the whatever number of weeks for everybody to assemble into a court. That's, yeah, something's seriously wrong there. Anyway, so the court gets convened. John is, of course, acquitted because, well, one, they've got a legal precedent in terms of kings going insane and people coming in and taking care of them. So Cersei is, or sorry, Danny is declared to be a threat to the realm, and therefore John's actions are totally legit. However, Grey Worm, of course, takes exception to this, and he and John have a little bit of a throwdown. Grey Worm ends up killing John. Sorry, eight seasons of whining, I've had it, John dies. However, at that point, Grey Worm ends up taking John's place and heads north. Makes perfect sense. You know, there's a lot of really cool stuff going up. On the North, there's a lot of land. You know, great place to get total, you know. Obviously, he'll go off north, play around for a little bit, leave some of his insulated there to take care of potential slavers, but he's eventually going to be heading North. Meanwhile, back at the court. I think Gendry would actually end up being crowned king because, well, Cersei, or sorry, Danny did do a little bit of his boo-boo. And that's that, that well, um, she legitimized Gendry. And once you legitimized Gendry, that means that he became the bigger threat. I mean, John was never really a threat in the first place. The only people that could actually prove who John was, in terms of heredity, was, well, Bran. There was no, I mean, there was a passage that alluded to a potential affair, but there was no actual clear parenthood, as far as John was considered, as far as the paperwork goes. The only person who knew was the person who could actually go back in time, check things out, and it happened to be his brother. Yeah, I don't think it would be holed up in court. So anyway, however, Danny did legitimize Gindry. and once she legitimized Gindry, well, Gindry has one heck of a story himself. That, of course, would entitle him to become king of the Six Kingdoms. I mean it probably sounds I like would still keep Winterfell separate. But that's basically what I think. I think Jamie and Cersei would or Jaime would end up killing Cersei. Uh Danny would end up killing both of them. John would still kill off Danny. Grey Worm would end up killing John and take his place going north. But other than that it pretty much work out the same. You know, and like you said, it's overall a really incredible series. Don't get me wrong. It just had some interesting problems that it needed to work out. It just felt really too rushed. Definitely go watch the series. You know, there's, it's earned its reputation in all sorts of ways. It's just like you said, this is me venting. So, apologize if I, we've got a little abor- annoying. But, that said, have a good evening. I'll talk to you later.